Welcome to the Trash Cats Trashcast. I'm Richard. I'm Steven. And today we're discussing criminal prosecutions involving rap lyrics. We've got a lot of ground to cover today, so we're just going to skip our normal chit chat and get right into it. The United States of America has always taken great pride in our individual liberties. And despite all of our country's flaws, the crown jewel has always been freedom of speech. For years, people have bitched and moaned about the limits to freedom of speech on social media. All the while, a more important and insidious silent war has been waged in our court systems. And as a result, the artistic limits of freedom of speech have slowly decayed. The resulting damage isn't limited just to artists. and innately changes our personal freedoms and affects us all. It was bad enough that being a fan of an artist could get you listed as a gang member. <laughs> whoop, whoop. <laughs> Fucking juggalos. But nowadays, lyrics to a song can be considered evidence against you in a criminal trial. And writing the wrong song could send you to prison. So today, we're going to explore this new trend in our criminal justice system, the prosecution of musicians for their craft, and hopefully make a case why creative speech should be sacredly protected. Throughout the history of music, there has always been oppression. African-American spirituals were initially an oral tradition as slaves weren't allowed to read and write. Jazz was discriminated against. Punk and rock were despised and protested. Music has always served as a symbol of resistance to oppression. All the while expanding new frontiers of acceptable and then in turn protected sounds and speech. Rap music is just a contemporary and most relevant battle in this long war. Examples of this go back to rap groups such as 2 Live Crew. The Florida-based party rap group 2 Live Crew holds the distinction of releasing the first sound recording to be declared obscene. The 1989 album, As Nasty As They Wanna Be, was released with an explicit lyrics advisory sticker. Despite this, nationwide police were telling stores that selling this album would result in arrest. The resulting court case made it all the way to the Supreme Court before they were ultimately exonerated. In effect, a new line of freedom of speech in regards to obscenity was drawn. Two Live Crew had changed what was legal for artists to say. Groups such as N.W.A. would continue to push this line with songs such as Fuck the Police, which was initially banned and protested. And to this day, fans of the Insane Clown Posse, the Juggalos, are still considered to be a criminal street gang by the federal government. Yeah, I was a bit surprised about I thought they were taken off, but... Uh, no. Yeah, apparently it's still federally listed and 21 different states still consider it to be a criminal gang. America really loves to hate rap music. For yeah, <laughs> it's like they love to hate it. As society has inevitably changed and progressed, in part thanks to musicians, freedom of speech has expanded in regards to what is considered obscene or illegal. In an attempt to keep up with the changing times and to prosecute rappers for charges unrelated to their music, courts have now resorted to using violent lyrics, often vague or out of context, as evidence in criminal courts for unrelated crimes, real or imaginary. Researchers have tracked more than 500 reported cases of prosecutors using rap music as evidence against defendants in the last 30 years, though that number is probably a significant undercount. The practice started to surge in the 2000s when authorities began to rely on social media in cases against amateur rappers, and when law enforcement gang units escalated their crackdown. The lyrics are typically cited to suggest gang affiliation, proof of crimes and intent, or demonstrate a rapper's violent character or threats. 
and the strategy was used against famous artists such as Snoop Dogg in the 1990s, Draco the Ruler in 2018, and Takeshi 69 in 2019. Scum gang. <laughs> <laughs> this tactic was used across the U.S., pointing to a 2004 manual of the American Prosecutors Research Institute, which encouraged the use of lyrics in search warrants and trials to, quote, invade and exploit the defendant's true personality, end quote, and present him as a criminal wearing a do-rag and throwing a gang sign to contrast the nicely tailored altar boy in the courtroom. <laughs> Although there are rare cases where words or music videos may be linked to specific criminal offenses, experts say research showed their use in court has often worked to prejudice jurors against young men of color. Multiple studies have found that associating defendants with rap music creates a strong negative bias in jurors and that people are significantly more likely to perceive lyrics as violent, offensive, threatening, dangerous, and literal if they are from rap, compared to other genres. I mean, Johnny Cash killed a man. No one gave a fuck. Right? Not to mention that one dude who shot the sheriff. Oh, yeah. He didn't kill the deputy, though. Allegedly, he did Alle not kill Yeah, you're right. Allegedly. <laughs> Quote, as soon as you introduce rap... You're compromising the defense's ability to have a fair trial, end quote. Researchers have also found widespread examples of prosecutors taking lyrics out of context, presenting them in inaccurate and misleading ways, treating fictional lines as facts or confessions, and using music to expand charges and secure convictions in lengthy sentences. The following is from an article by the American Bar Association titled Lyrics and Limine. This is our primary source for the remainder of the episode, because this is an excellent summarization of what the issue is today. And it's written by Kelly McLean, Jacob Schnurderbriggs, Jacqueline Schnell. <laughs> <laughs> it was published in January of 2023. This is fresh one, off the press. <laughs> you got one out of three, right? <laughs> I just I decided a little while back, I just don't want to pronounce, I don't want to have to stumble on names anymore, so I'm just pronouncing them however they roll it's off. However the fuck you want to. I'm just not going to correct you anymore. I'm going to call you out when you're wrong, but I'm not going to correct you. <laughs> I would like to preface that the American Bar Association puts a big emphasis on race, in that many of the rappers prosecuted are young black men. I would not disagree with this. Yeah. I just really want to emphasize that freedom of speech is something that we all should have an inherent right to. And that while many people prosecuted in these cases may often be the same people our court system discriminate against, freedom of artistic speech is something that we all should want to preserve. I know that that sounds like I hate I hate prefacing shit like that. I but know we we've talked about that before, and and I think where we ultimately landed on it when we I think I, I got you with the you know like giving more information ahead of time only only stands to clarify to everybody that you know what you're saying you know i'm sure I, someone yeah. can chop something up and take something out of context but it you know putting the, the the emphasis on the point that you want to make i just don't i don't like in part how this article like it is true this affects more non-white artists than white artists that is right. definitely true Right. But it is also true that the primary place most of these convictions are coming from is Chicago and other big cities, where a large percent of the justice system is also black. And I, I feel like sometimes when it's overframed as primarily a race issue, it kind of takes away from like what the the true problem at the heart of it is. And yeah, I, it like it takes away from the, that it's a freedom of speech, freedom of art it, issue. It, 
Yeah. But it, it also would be wrong not to, I don't know, state state the relevance of that too. It's just a, a it's a fine line and I, I just don't like prefacing, but I've, I've yeah. we're we, reading we, this we article don't, and I don't, don't want to ignore the facts of it, but we're also stating that we, we there is another focus that we, we are the thing that we are focused on is not maybe the same thing that they yeah. put the emphasis on. They did a really good job. This is a really yeah, good article. It's a good though. article. Yeah. Kick us off. <sighs> In the summer of 2022, popular rap artists Young Thug and Gunna were indicted on charges of violating the Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act, also known as RICO, as well as RICO. A- <laughs> what? Good old Rico. Good old Uncle Rico, you know. (laughs) As well as a number of other gang, drug, and firearm-related charges. The indictment relied heavily on the artist's lyrics, using their music as evidence of guilt. In 2019, Daniel Hernandez, known for his stage name, Takashi69, faced similar charges based on his lyrics. Prosecutors have used rap lyrics as evidence of guilt in countless cases in recent years against well-known stars and amateur artists alike. In 2016, for example, Tommy Munswell Kennedy was sentenced to life in prison after a trial where the prosecutor's primary evidence of guilt was a song Kennedy had released on the digital music platform SoundCloud. Kennedy became a suspect only when the victim's father heard the song and believed it to be a confession. The rest of the evidence against Kennedy was circumstantial, and Kennedy continues to assert his innocence. What he believed when he was arrested to be a misunderstanding of his music has led to a life sentence. Now, I feel like this is as good a time as any to to be honest a bit. Because I remember the first cases of this. And it was such a big deal at the time. And since this has silently continued, mm-hmm. and there's been over 500 cases of this. And if I had to play devil's advocate, I can't for sure say that the rap lyrics themselves as evidence was the linchpin in each of these cases. Right. But it is a reoccurring factor that has been major evidence in many of the cases. And that how the evidence is used is very problematic. Yeah. And I think they established that really well going forward. I thought of this really good analogy. And I, I since last week, we kind of talked about it at the end of the episode, and it, I, I got to thinking – and I thought, if I committed the perfect crime, no fingerprints, no DNA, you know, no, no, no body, no, you know, like everything's whatever. And they, they, there's, there's nothing that connects me to this crime. I got alibis, like whatever. Mm-hmm. If I made a song and I confessed to doing that crime, and that was the only thing that they had against me. There's no way that could possibly be used because there's no other thing connecting me to the crime. I don't think that's true though, because I know for a fact, multiple of these cases, it is true that the only other evidence aside from the song and the songs were often super vague and out of context. The only other evidence was circumstantial. They'll try to establish right. No, that, what, what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is that they they are doing it. But what I'm saying is, right. they shouldn't be able to do it. Yes, yes. That's what I'm. That's what I'm trying to say. I think where I ended up last time was I was I wasn't specifying that. Like, I think I mentioned that. Oh, if someone like raps about a crime that they did, it's like, like yeah, like the you 
you're admitting to a crime, but it's like, there has to be all of the other evidence. And then at that point, like why you can't use that. Like this should, that shouldn't even be considered. You have to prove that it actually happened. Like I can claim to be Jesus and make a song out of it, but that doesn't make it true unless I prove it to be otherwise true through actions. Yeah. I think, you know, lyrics can be used as the motivation to go find real fucking evidence. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, if so, if you hear someone say something, you know, and you're like, oh, that sounds extremely specific to, you know, something that ha- that something that I know that happened. Let me look into that more. And you can actually find other evidence on it. And it's like, okay, yeah, you fucked up. But to use that as the evidence itself, use the, the song as evidence itself is silly. Wild. Yeah. Silly. Rap lyrics are frequently used against artists in criminal trials. While there have been hundreds of cases in the past 30 years where rap songs have been used to demonstrate guilt, there have only been a handful of analogous cases of other art forms. I was just thinking about that too. Like if you were a painter accused of murder and you happen to have painted a portrait of that murder scene, I can't ever imagine that really being used against a painter. Right. (laughs) It's so silly. It'd be some very, very specific real life looking details that are, uh, that maybe weren't released to the public information. I still don't even think they would though. (laughs) I mean, to even try, it would have to be extremely fucking, have some really weird shit going on that was specific. It couldn't be as vague as many of these lyrics are. Exactly. Yeah. The reasons for this are pretty complex. Rap is an art form practiced primarily by people of color. In many cases, hail from communities that are over-policed and under-protected, over-criminalized, and over-incarcerated. Indeed, these harsh realities were central to the art that brought rap into American mainstream in the 1980s. The artisan songs that rose to prominence, the music now exalted as classics of the genre, were well known for dealing openly with these social and political issues and for using depictions of violence, gangs, drugs, and police brutality to challenge the status quo. When rap artists draw on these themes, whether as an homage to the classics or from an independent creative desire to write on these topics, they are often interpreted as admitting to take part in the scenes they describe. Rappers are not given the artistic leeway that artists of other genres are. There is an insidious bias that often causes audiences to believe that rap music is literal and autobiographical. And the problem is that the same bias can impact prosecutors choosing when to introduce lyrics as evidence of guilt, judges deciding when to admit it, and juries weighing whether to convict. Sorry, Your Honor. I did not commit the murder. It was my ghostwriter. Right. (laughs) (laughs) We see this a lot in in metal lyrics, too. That was something I thought of when I was typing, you know, putting some of this together, too, was like, Cannibal Corpse lyrics were the first ones that I saw that were like, this is fucking outlandish. The whole like, the, they have violence. Su- yeah, submerged in boiling flesh, fucking hammer smashed face, rotten body landslide. It's like wild shit. And like, yeah, pe- there are definitely people that are upset with them, but no one's going, you know, taking them to court because they're, you know, uh. think that they... I, w- I could push back on that because there, I mean, maybe that's an episode for another day, but there's a lot of cases, less so in America than other countries, where black metal artists, heavy metal artists are kind of uh, charged 
off very light evidence due to their music being used as character evidence against them. But mm-hmm. n- not anywhere t- near to the same extent as rap. Yeah, it's I not mean, like a pervasive and thing that like something yeah. that people are actively searching to go out on, you know, in such a large, you know, yeah. casting that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Core First Amendment values counsel strongly against this practice of using lyrics. If the First Amendment stands for anything, it stands for the fundamental proposition that political and artistic speech ought to be protected against state sanction. Courts have expounded time and time again the need to ensure that speech by oppressed groups and political minorities is not chilled by government action. This is true for all artistic expression, and particularly true here, where artists in a genre that has its roots in protest and that is historically associated with black people and people of color are more likely to be prosecuted based on that art. As currently written, Federal evidentiary rules should also prevent the admission of creative expression as a confession. Under Rule 403 of the Federal Rules of Evidence, courts may exclude evidence whose, quote, probative value is substantially outweighed by a danger of unfair prejudice. It is hard to imagine a category of evidence more deserving of exclusion under this rule. The probative value of rap lyrics is highly questionable. As in many genres, artists often write under fictional personas reference events in the news, including crimes, and employed lyrical hyperbole. Yeah, it's so goofy. We literally have federal rules about evidence being submitted to the court to rule out creative expression as a confession. Pretty fucking wild. Given the pervasive bias against rap music, jurors are even more likely to incorrectly interpret rap lyrics as literal or believe that rappers are more likely to act violently or engage in criminal activity. Thus, rap lyrics have the potential to prejudice jurors in a way that similar lyrics from songs in other genres do not. This article will discuss the constitutional and evidentiary issues that are prompted by the use of rap lyrics as evidence in criminal trials, evaluate legislative approaches to address the issue, and ultimately propose a new framework for courts to use in evaluating whether lyrics should be admissible in a criminal trial. Ultimately, while we would not argue that rap lyrics should never be introduced as evidence, we believe that the practice is deeply problematic and must be severely curtailed. And while the American bar may not, I will Dr. argue that- Dr. Professor Lawyer Stephen is uh, putting on his, his extra big business suit and get, grabbing his extra big uh, suitcase and- Such a big suitcase because <laughs> I have so much evidence that aren't songs. <laughs> I, I studied all week to pass the bar, and it was so easy. And now, <laughs> now I'm going to change the world. So it's real baby shit, you know. <laughs> <laughs> the use of rap lyrics as evidence against artists is a pervasive problem that distorts the meaning and purpose of the art and creates an unacceptable risk of wrongful prosecutions. Since its inception, rap music has had an antagonistic relationship with law enforcement. The most iconic example of this is police opposition to N.W.A.'s hit song, Fuck the Police. The song described instances of police brutality and portrayed a mock trial in which the rappers prosecuted the police department for its actions. Law enforcement responded to the song in a variety of ways, including by attempting to prohibit the song's performance and then arresting the group for defying orders not to perform it. While police argued that the song encouraged violence against police officers, N.W.A. insisted that it was not meant to be a literal call to arms, but an expression of frustration with abusive policing in minority communities. 
a fact later borne out by the consent decree the city of Los Angeles entered into with the U.S. Department of Justice to provide federal oversight of the Los Angeles Police Department. Prosecutors have long taken the former view using rap lyrics as evidence of gang activity and violence. The rap encompasses a multitude of subgenres and a broad diversity of artistic expression. It found its popular genesis in the 1970s and 80s as music seeking to document and protest conditions of urban life, including police brutality and mass incarceration, born of the war on drugs, gang violence, and widespread urban decay and unemployment. Rap was known for its rawness, its artists' brutal depictions of the challenges they saw around them, and an unapologetic antagonism towards government and law enforcement, who were viewed at best as apathetic to it, and at worst, willing causes of the problems urban communities faced. Among other things, rap developed as, and continues to be, an important voice protesting social injustices. However, in spite of this substantial social value added by rap, or perhaps because of the subjects of its criticism, it is at particular risk for being weaponized as evidence against rap artists. Rap's origins and conventions cause it to be misunderstood and mischaracterized. A common theme in rap is artists portraying conditions of violence recast with the narrators, people often victimized under real-world conditions, occupying newfound positions of power. N.W.A.'s Fuck the Police is a prime example of this, and the music of N.W.A. and their contemporaries has been immeasurably influential in rap. As part of a subversive movement, rap's meaning is not always intended to be understood by a mainstream audience. Rap developed a lexicon unique to the art form that is ripe for misunderstanding by the uninitiated. For example, and of prime importance to the use of lyrics as evidence in criminal prosecutions, lyrics often employ homicide metaphors. Homicide serves as a frequent metaphor in rap music lyrics. In homicide metaphors, violence stands in as a symbolic expression of skill, courage, or power. That is, murder represents one lyricist's ability to defeat or destroy another lyricist through a superior display of verbal dexterity. Now, I got, I'm going to interject here. This is like, uh, this feels like 90 battle rap rules. <laughs> I mean... To be fair, like, that's how like Brother Lynch hung talked about like killing killing other rappers and eating rappers and stuff like that was his. But he was also what well, is a gang member. Well, who, like, that that is true. <laughs> but like he he's he's said before also like like that's he called you know when when he would beat someone in a battle rap or when he would. But beat he's forty five. I mean, well, these yeah, new kids I'm talking are, about when he was like twenty. <laughs> yeah, but these new kids are actually smoking on their dead friends' homies. They're like true, okay, <laughs> loud packing each other. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. They're what? Oh, they'd be loud packing and smoking on <laughs> on the homies. You know. References to weapons, especially firearms, is frequently made in homicide metaphors. Weaponry metaphorically represents the microphone, the tool which your opponent's defeat takes place. I, I think this is important that they're saying this because this is like how old school hip hop function in a lot of ways. Yeah. But now uh, most of these cases realistically are on are against rappers who may or may not kill people. Mm-hmm. And I think this is like almost a naive take that takes away from some level of credibility of addressing, hey, this is a real problem. 
but using these lyrics as evidence also isn't the solution. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like this would have been really accurate like 20 years ago. Yeah. But, I mean, but it is know, important they're saying it because this can be true for a lot of artists. Not all artists are like criminal masterminds either. You know, we can all just go back to 80s rap where it was all just hanging out, hanging out <laughs> yeah. by the schoolyard and shooting b-ball with my crew. and Up to no good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're making trouble in the neighborhood. Exactly right. <laughs> God, did you ever listen to that Will Smith rap album? No. Dude. Not a full oh. album. It it is the worst thing you'll ever hear. It's very funny though. Talks about his mom and his dirty shoes a lot. <laughs> it's that sing song goofiness, you know. What what was the uh, there's a Family Guy goof about like uh, Will Smith raps like like get a job so you can help your parents pay for school supplies. Ha ha, hoo ha ha. That's like basically it. <laughs> Quote. Even when violent lyrics are not used as metaphors, they do not necessarily represent depictions of actual violence or an intention to commit violent acts. Instead, exaggerated and invented boasts of criminal acts should be regarded as a larger set of signifying practices. Growing out of a much older set of cultural practices, these masculinist narratives are essentially verbal duels over who is the baddest motherfucker around. (laughs) End quote. In addition to that fact that lyrics are usually not meant to be taken literally, an artist's persona is not the same as the artist themselves. Rappers regularly take on characters, sometimes characters, quote, genuinely identifiable in the artist's community. But often these characters may be from other forms of popular culture, pulp fiction, and black exploitation. Common characters include the outlaw, thug, gangster, pimp, Hollywood-style, Mafioso, drug dealer or hustler. Yeah, Brother Lynch Hung's Manable Lecter character is like classic for this. Yeah, exactly. It, but it's kind of backwards. Like if you were trying to prosecute him off of one of his albums of strange music, it would probably be way more difficult, despite it being far more violent and graphic, than it would be easy to attempt to prosecute one of these drill rappers. I remember when you you were the one that introduced me to, to Brother Lynch, and it, I don't think it was like immediately like when you when you introduced me to him, but it was very shortly after you were like, I don't know, dude. He might have eaten somebody, <laughs> dude. Back in the old like the, the way he talks about it, he might have he this motherfucker might have eaten somebody. <laughs> I always hoped because some people. On the internet in the old days, this is old days, when there wasn't good information, a lot of people online claimed he was a true cannibal. And, and you know, his dude, X-Rated, was in prison for murder, mailing out his his uh, albums on tape. Yeah. That other people would put the beats and everybody around him was, you know, killer scythe. I felt it was possible he was a real cannibal. Did you ever hear, uh, listen to Big Lurch? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Big Lurch actually did. I mean, he went he went wild on some PCP and ate a person, but <laughs> he didn't. He didn't get the chance that he got caught, and he didn't get a chance to rap about it. <laughs> I I had to find that. I was like, did this rapper eat somebody? And it was like, are you talking about Big Lurch? <laughs> yeah, <up>. you did. <laughs> As rap became widely popular, financial pressures pushed artists toward writing more violent lyrics and carrying their rap persona beyond the stage. Though the music initially found its listeners primarily in black and urban communities, it soon had a following of young white suburban listeners. 
this new fan base tended to prefer music that was more aggressive and abrasive. They're talking about us. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> who they're talking about. Record companies sought to profit from this by encouraging artists to cater to these tastes. In many cases, artists were encouraged to play at violence in their lyrics and persona, with potential profit from their work often hanging in the balance. This means that in order for rap to serve as a viable career path, artists had to adopt a persona that differs from their own. It would be naive to blame white kids for making rap music too aggressive. And as as the sole reason. Yeah, and yeah. I'm trying to I I want to say things better. I'm like trying to work on how I say things. I don't think it would matter if the music really was violent or not because this the people that want to prosecute this music aren't worried about the degrees of its violence. You know what I mean? Does right. that make sense? Yeah, exactly. I understand what the authors are getting at here, and they they have a point. There is some truth to that, I'm sure, but sometimes I wish such important ideas and concepts didn't always have to resort to racial blame gaming. The yeah. old blame game. Yeah, I, I think there's, there's definitely a part of like, it doesn't matter what you're doing, there's always the idea is to top whoever you know, did the last big thing. So like, you, you know, it doesn't matter what, what career path you're in. The idea is to make the next best thing, make the next thing that catches attention. So regardless of, uh, of who's listening, I feel like that's, that's a big draw in, in any career path. Right. Well, it's also, you know, the concept of cultural vulturism, like the goal of any art is to be good enough and accessible enough that anyone could enjoy it like it is good for certain arts to have its niche or to speak directly to specific groups of people but i i don't at like least, at least commercially I, I do agree with you on that like commercially you, you commercially? would want well if you commercially you would want to reach more people you would want more people to feel like this is like they can relate to they can feel they enjoy mm. this, yeah. So, like, as an artist, if you if your goal is to, you know, make money and thrive as an artist and do it as a career, no, it, I, it would it would be it would benefit you to, you know, reach a wider audience and, you know, reach more people to to buy your your product. Sure, I, I will say though, like, if you look at like punk bands. I, I could very much see if you're like a leftover crack or like a random punk band that's pretty hardcore for its time and you gain some notoriety, it would be pretty lame that you see your music is listing, listened to by all the people you hate, all the squares, man. Exactly. And exactly. I, there, there's a double-edged sword. Yeah, I definitely, for a ton of rappers, especially the older era of rap, it really would suck to profit if you were successful from your music to such an extent while simultaneously feeling like it got torn away from your culture by big corporations, wakers and posers. I mean, even when we were growing up, there was a huge thing, a huge, like not like a beef, I guess, but just people 
hating on like like it was all like oh the, the, these are yeah. these are mainstream rappers like we're we're underground rappers like this is better like we don't make that mainstream bullshit and yeah. then mainstream rappers are like oh they're just mad because they're not getting the money that we're getting yeah. all of this speaks to how rap is a complex genre with conventions that put its artists at high risk for being subject to wrongful prosecution thematically it often portrays violence and expresses anger and frustration at oppressive systems. The genre's greats have described violent fantasies, including those of revenge, relating to, among others, law enforcement and other rappers. Lyrically, rap encourages artists to take on alternative personas and use violent metaphors, including descriptions of murder. Culturally, artists are encouraged to bolster credibility by acting as if their art reflects their personal life rather than scenes they have witnessed or imagined. Together, these factors create a situation where aspiring artists are likely to release songs that seem, to those unfamiliar with the genre, to be confessions. This creates a problem within the criminal legal system. Prosecutors argue that rap lyrics are highly provative. In many cases, lyrics ostensibly amount to defendants admitting to the crimes with which they are charged. While defense attorneys can use the history and conventions of rap, the First Amendment principles at stake, and the evidentiary principles guarding against unfair prejudice to argue that the lyrics should not be admitted into the evidence, the deck is stacked against them. Formal legal protections do little work when the application of those protections is up to judicial discretion. To be clear, there are cases in which lyrics can rightfully be introduced as evidence. The mere fact that a defendant classifies his past statements as rap is not, under the current legal regime, enough to bar their introduction. But rap lyrics are more often admitted when they should not be, and this error can, and does, ruin lives. Drawing the right line as to what should and should not be permitted is difficult. To date, our legal system has not found a consistent solution. The rest of this article serves, we hope, as a step in the right direction. Current Legal Framework the admissibility of rap lyric evidence is determined under principles established by the Constitution and the rules of evidence in the particular jurisdiction. Under First Amendment principles, courts evaluate whether the artist is being sanctioned for creative expression. Prosecutors can argue, usually successfully, that the admission of art as evidence does not sanction the expression, but rather the underlying crime. Defendants are also ostensibly protected from the misuse of their lyrics as evidence by Rule 403 and its state law equivalents, which permits courts to exclude evidence that is unduly prejudicial. Rule 403, however, creates a balancing test that permits admission of potentially prejudicial evidence when it has sufficient probative value. In cases involving rap lyric evidence, the balancing analysis has often led to the introduction of highly prejudicial evidence based on the flawed analysis of its probative nature. As a whole, the current legal framework is inadequate to protect artists from misguided prosecution for their art. Some courts undertake the required analysis with sufficient attention to the essential context, but the application of key protective principles is unacceptably inconsistent. First Amendment the First Amendment prohibits Congress from making any laws, quote, abridging the freedom of speech, end quote. Over 30 years, the U.S. Supreme Court understood that if there is a bedrock principle underlying the First Amendment, it is that the government may not prohibit the expression of an idea simply because society finds the idea itself offensive or disagreeable. This basic proposition 
that the Constitution protects speech offensive to the sensibilities of social and political majorities is indispensable to a democratic society. In this way, the First Amendment has a structural role to play in securing and fostering our republican system of self-government. It fulfills this role by ensuring that the public debate is uninhibited, robust, and wide open. The First Amendment affords its highest protection to political speech. Indeed, there is practically universal agreement that a major purpose of the First Amendment was to protect the free discussion of governmental affairs. Political speech need not conform to certain social preferences or standards of etiquette to receive constitutional protection. To the contrary, enforcing such arbitrary expectations would contravene core First Amendment values. In public debate, our own citizens must tolerate insulting and even outrageous speech in order to provide adequate breathing space to the freedoms protected by the First Amendment. Moreover, and all apart from the political, the First Amendment protects artistic expression on its own terms. Rap's political origins and creative conventions place it at the heart of the First Amendment considerations. Rap's historical development within the larger hip-hop movement, in conjunction with its motifs and subject matter, illustrate its political nature. As discussed above, rap, quote, evolved with political overtones as a means through which Black and Latino youth could comment on and challenge the social conditions they confronted on a daily basis. Conditions driven by deindustrialization, economic restructuring, and a precipitous rise in incarceration. End quote. Rap's lineage, tracing back to Africa, Bambada, and exemplified by the work of, for example, N.W.A. and Kendrick Lamar, is starkly political. The genre emerged as a mode of critiquing power and continues to function in that way. Rap music is a clear example of political speech and runs to the heart of the First Amendment. In any event, rap's artistic conventions belie its alleged usefulness as evidence in criminal prosecutions. The genre, quote, resides within a long tradition of African-American storytelling and language games that privilege parody, pastiche, and above all, wordplay. Rap, like the art forms that precede it, engages in the process of, quote, obscuring apparent meaning. Its lyrics operate such that ambiguity is prized, meaning is destabilized, and gaps between the literal and the figurative are intentionally exploited. It is characterized by dense slang, coded reference, intentional mispronunciations, and sometimes blazing fast delivery, all of which defy interpretation at every turn. Thus, independent of its political messaging, rap's methods of artistic expression are occluded and ignored when prosecutors use rap lyrics as evidence for their literal meaning. Rap, entitled The Constitutional Protection as Political and Artistic Expression, should not be used against its creators as a state-sanctioned cudgel. These principles notwithstanding, courts often admit rap lyrics as evidence over the constitutional objections of defense counsel. The test frequently employed by the courts is superficially straightforward, because the First Amendment does not prohibit evidentiary use of speech to establish the elements of a crime or to prove motive or intent. Admissibility turns simply on whether the evidence at issue was used for permissible purposes or merely to show that a defendant is morally reprehensible due to his abstract beliefs. In the context of simple testimony, this analysis makes sense. If an artist commits a crime and subsequently confesses to so doing, it would not make sense to exclude his confession on the basis of his First Amendment freedom of speech. Put simply, 
evidence of a defendant's previous declaration or statements is commonly admitted in criminal trials subject to evidentiary rules dealing with relevancy, reliability, and the like. See, I do think it makes sense not to include a clear confession in a song, even if it was intended to be a confession. And I feel like that is because, as a society, we place art in its own category. It's something important on a cultural level, and I think it deserves like a, a sacred status. And I know that's like a more extreme line to draw, and it's farther than something like the American bar would be willing to say, but I feel like it's similar to the abortion debate, where you have to stake out an even more extreme position to fight for the middle ground. Well, you might be surprised by this next paragraph you're about to read, because it <laughs> basically states exactly what you said. Fuck yeah. The seemingly intuitive approach loses its footing, however, when applied to creative expression generally and rap specifically. There are key differences between a literal testimonial confession to a crime and the meaning of a lyric in a rap song. Rap's political origins and artistic conventions undercut the proposition that rapping about shooting a police officer or joining a gang is evidence of actually shooting a police officer or actually joining a gang. And yet courts relying on an overly formalistic First Amendment analysis often conflate the two, allowing artistic expression to be admitted as evidence over constitutional objection. The limited weight courts have given to constitutional arguments against admissibility is compounded by similar judicial errors made in applying rules of evidence. Rules of evidence. The safeguards currently provided by provisions in the federal rules of evidence and corresponding state evidentiary rules are similarly insufficient to prevent the misuse of rap lyrics as criminal evidence. Defendants challenging the introduction of their lyrics often rely on Rule 403, which permits courts to exclude relevant evidence if its probative value is substantially outweighed by a danger of unfair prejudice. Courts routinely caution that unfair prejudice does not refer to evidence that will harm a party's case, but to evidence that is likely to cause a fact finder to decide the case on an improper basis. While Rule 403 arguments sometimes lead to the exclusion of rap lyric evidence, more often, courts determine that the evidence is probative enough to justify any potential unfair prejudice. Many of these determinations are the result of a flawed analysis of the prejudicial risk presented by this type of evidence. In other cases, courts have articulated helpful guiding principles for the Rule 403 assessments. As a whole, however, outcomes have been too disparate and unpredictable for Rule 403 to serve as a sufficient safeguard. A significant problem with the Rule 403 analysis in this context is that courts underestimate prejudice where the crimes alleged are more inflammatory than the evidence at issue. The Second Circuit, for instance, has categorically held that evidence will not be excluded as unduly prejudicial when it is not more inflammatory than the charged crime. Other jurisdictions, while not necessarily finding that evidence to be less inflammatory than the alleged crime to be unfairly prejudicial, tend to reach the same result. The reasoning behind this rule of comparison is that if a jury is already going to have an emotionally charged response to the allegations, the marginal prejudicial effect of the challenged evidence will be negligible. It is easy, however, to envision the opposite. For example, in a murder trial, evidence of the victim's killing is likely to invoke emotional responses. This is especially true if there is a testimony from the victim's friends or family. 
In that context, the introduction of a defendant's violent lyrics is likely to make the jury, a jury already emotionally primed by the realities of violence brought to light by the trial, unfairly prejudiced against the defendant. People who may, in another, neutral context, know that art is not autobiographical, may view violent lyrics as a confession in this context. Further, this approach to unfair prejudice fails to take into account the unfair prejudice that can occur by way of racial stereotypes invoked by the bias many hold against rap. These stereotypes might not be invoked by other evidence or allegations and are therefore not effectively subsumed by the evidence already presented. Research has shown that a large portion of Americans believe that rap artists are more likely to write autobiographically than other artists and that they are more likely to engage in violence or be members of gangs. As a result, prosecutors who introduce rap lyrics as evidence are also able to subtly introduce these misconceptions, likely to be held by at least some jurors. This is true almost no matter how inflammatory the music is and how inflammatory the actual crimes at issue are. (laughs) (laughs) Finally, this analysis is troubling in that it is self-executing for investigators and prosecutors. In Tom Kennedy's case, for example, there were no suspects until the father of the victim heard Kennedy's song. Kennedy's music about violence directly led to his being prosecuted for violence. If the scale for assessing prejudice moves with the severity of the crime alleged, it will be nearly impossible for Rule 403 to be a bar for prejudicial evidence when the prosecution follows the art itself. In some cases, notwithstanding the issues discussed above, courts have used Rule 403 analysis to assess the key social issues at stake with rap lyric evidence and sought to develop useful analytical principles. Courts have used limited instructions required that the lyrics admitted contain context that specifically resembles aspects of the allegations, permitted the use of lyrics only to demonstrate familiarity with illicit trades, and barred lyrics when they merely have a tenuous connection to the charged conduct. As the court in United States v. Willey noted, quote, The fundamental nature of rap music as a form of artistic expression that frequently features aggressive and hyperbolic language can pose too great a risk of undue prejudice, end quote. Although some courts may have gotten this analysis right, including, in very particular instances, by admitting the lyrics, the issues at stake are too important and too difficult to be dealt with in such a piecemeal manner. Legislative action is necessary to protect artists against the wrongful prosecution based on their artwork. For difficult evidentiary questions, Rule 403 provides some generalized protection, but it cannot always be relied on to prevent misleading and prejudicial evidence. The challenge presented by rap lyric evidence requires a distinct legislative approach. Current Legislative Proposals In response to attempts by prosecutors to introduce rap lyrics as evidence in criminal proceedings, members of the California legislature have recently passed legislation amending California's rules of evidence, and the U.S. Congress has proposed legislative reforms. California recently amended its rules of evidence to afford extra protection for creative expression, which the law defines as, quote, expression or application of creativity or imagination in the production or arrangement of forms, sounds, words, movements, or symbols, including but not limited to 
music, dance, performance art, visual art, poetry, literature, film, and other such objects or media. The new rule, codified at Section 352.2 of California's Evidence Code, provides that, quote, where a party seeks to admit as evidence a form of creative expression, the court, while balancing the probative value of that evidence against the substantial danger of undue prejudice, shall consider two specified factors. Namely, an evaluating court must consider that 1. The probative value of creative expression for its literal truth, or as a truthful narrative, is minimal unless that expression is created near in time to the charged crime or crimes, bears a sufficient level of similarity to the charged crime or crimes, or includes factual detail not otherwise publicly available, and 2. Undue prejudice includes, but is not limited to, the possibility that the trier of fact will treat the expression as evidence of the defendant's propensity for violence or general criminal disposition, as well as the possibility that the evidence will explicitly or implicitly inject racial bias into the proceedings. The first factor accounts for certain conventions of artistic expression, generally and of rap in particular. Art is often non-literal, and rap relies on lyrical ambiguity and wordplay that resists a single literal meaning. As such, making explicit that the probative value of creative expression is typically minimal guides judicial evaluation towards exclusion. That said, this guidance is heavily qualified. The law established that if creative expression is 1. created near in time to the charged crime, 2. bears sufficiently similarity to the crime, or 3. includes factual detail relevant to the charged crime that is not otherwise publicly available, the probative value of the expression's literal meaning may increase. And I, while I would like all of it to be fully protected, this seems fairly reasonable by California. Right. These are fairly good guidelines of the first of the two. While the first factor guides judicial evaluation of a creative expression's probative value, the second clarifies the counterweight of undue prejudice. The law emphasizes that a trier of fact may treat creative expression as impermissible propensity evidence, and furthermore, that creative expression may inject racial bias into the proceedings. Here, California certainly had rap in mind. Its legislative findings are explicit that a substantial body of research shows a significant risk of unfair prejudice when rap lyrics are introduced into evidence. Procedurally, the California law provides that the court when evaluating admissibility, shall consider 1. Credible testimony on the genre of creative expression as to the social or cultural context, rules, conventions, and artistic techniques of the expression. That is very interesting. Mm -hmm. 2. Experimental or social sciences research demonstrating that the introduction of a particular type of expression explicitly or implicitly introduces racial bias into the proceedings. 3. Evidence to rebute such evidence or testimony. The law further demands that decisions on admissibility shall be heard in limine, outside the presence and the hearing of the jury, and requires the court to state on the record its ruling and its reasons, therefore. The proposal to address this problem that has been advanced to the U.S. Congress has yet to be signed into law. The bill titled Restoring Artistic Protection or the RAP Act of 2022, takes a different take than the California law. 
Rather than guide a court's evaluations of probative value and undue prejudice, the RAP Act creates a default rule that, quote, a defendant's creative or artistic expression, whether original or derivative, is not admissible against such defendant in criminal cases. The default rule, however, yields to exceptions enumerated in the bill. So basically, there's two big things, or three. We have the Federal Rule 403 for evidence into courts nationwide. We have California's current bill, which I believe is inaction, that considers the context of genre and uh, the social situation that the art exists and has offers more protection. And then we have the RAP Act that is currently, I believe it's like on a pause status in Congress. It's not passed, but it is, uh, in theory, Congress has the power to enact at any time. In order to admit creative or artistic expression under the RAP Act, the government must show by clear and convincing evidence that the defendant intended the literal meaning of the expression, whether original or derivative. This threshold showing much like California's characterization of what is and is not probative, accounts for the fact that art generally, and rap specifically, often relies on ambiguities and figurative expressions. If the threshold showing is made, the government must then prove by the same clear and convincing standard that 1. The creative expression refers to specific facts of the crime alleged, and 2. The expression is relevant to an issue of fact that is disputed, and 3. The expression has distinct probative value, not provided by other admissible evidence. Procedurally, the RAP Act is much like the California law. Admissibility is to be assessed at a hearing conducted outside the hearing of the jury, and the court shall make its ruling on the record, including its finding of facts essential to the ruling. Finally, if the court decides to admit evidence of creative or artistic expression, it must ensure that the expression is redacted in a manner to limit the evidence presented to the jury to that which is specifically accepted from the default rule of exclusion and further must provide appropriate limiting instructions to the jury. Both of these legislative approaches improve on the inconsistent approach taken under the basic First Amendment and Rule 403 principles and we look forward to seeing the impact that California's legislation will have on future cases. I fully agree with that. These aren't perfect, but these are expanded protections from Rule 403 and the First Amendment. Right. These approaches represent two of a number of possible answers to the questions of how courts should assess proposed rap lyric evidence. In the following section, we assess the wisdom of these and other approaches and lay a framework that we believe would most effectively distinguish between what should and should not be admitted. Our proposals. There are at least three distinct approaches to addressing the problem presented by rap lyric evidence. One, constitutional rule. Two, a categorical legislative ban. And three, reforms within applicable rules of evidence. A constitutional rule. There are clearly First Amendment values at stake when rap lyrics or any works of creative expression are used as evidence against artists in criminal prosecutions. Thus, a constitutional rule prohibiting the use of creative expression to inculpate creators for alleged criminal acts has intuitive appeal. Be that as it may, there are instances in which a criminal defendant's past statement, a confession of guilt for instance, may be admitted into evidence its formal artistic label notwithstanding. 
One can imagine a case in which a defendant had provided a detailed confession, including accurate information about the crime not otherwise publicly known, incorporated a musical accompaniment of that confession, and called it creative expression, be it rap, rock, or country. You know, the, this whole like character evidence or evidence that shows a defendant's likelihood to commit a crime is so fucking mixed up. For example, the Kyle Rittenhouse stuff, the week before he shot those people, there's video of him saying he would love to shoot someone stealing from a store. Like one of his friends was recording them, they're sitting in their car, and he's talking about how he would love to shoot someone stealing from a store. Fucking real cool guy. But that was not allowed in court. But it makes sense that that statement was not allowed to used in court, which is why it makes so much less sense that rap lyrics, often out of context, vague, and produced years before or years after a violent act, can somehow be roped in as direct evidence. Right. It's so stupid. There's so much leeway to decide what can and cannot be used as evidence in these cases. It is dubious that the First Amendment bars a judicial fact finder from considering such evidence. While there are First Amendment principles at work in the context of rap lyrics admissibility, and while judges have underplayed the importance of those principles, it is difficult to argue that the Constitution bars that practice entirely. This, however, does not prevent legislators from passing laws that do. A Categorical Legislative Ban A law that categorically precludes the admission of creative expression as evidence in criminal proceedings is conceivable. Thank you, American Bars. This is my take. Mm -hmm. In light of expressive values at stake in conjunction with insidious biases against racial minorities, an overprotective and overinclusive approach may be superior to an underprotected and underinclusive one. When competing considerations are in play, the law accepts trade-offs. Fourth Amendment jurisprudence, for instance, prevents certain law enforcement practices that violate privacy rights. The warrant requirement surely comes at the cost of relevant probative evidence. But constitutional law is clear that the ends do not justify the means. One must be secure in their person, houses, papers, and effects, even if that means keeping key evidence out of the hands of police officers and prosecutors. A categorical evidentiary ban on creative expression would, in some cases, exclude otherwise probative inculpatory evidence. In line with William Blackstone's admonition that it is, quote, better than ten guilty persons escape than that one innocent suffer, end quote, this may be a price well worth paying. The state is often at a resource advantage over criminal defendants. Forcing police investigators to make their case without the aid of creative expression would not ruin their efforts. Imprisoning a person because of their art, especially if that art is the only evidence proffered, does ruin their life. A categorical legislative ban, then, is one reasonable path forward. Amen. Right? We finally got there. Yeah. And I don't know who this William Blackstone fellow is, but he sounds pretty based. I think he's <laughs> a fan and he's been stealing my takes. He sounds pretty cool. <laughs> reforms within applicable rules of evidence. To the extent reforms should allow creative expression to be admitted into evidence, the second path toward reform points towards the rules of evidence. 
while the California Law and the RAP Act are improvements upon the status quo, they do not go far enough. We believe the soundest approach is to combine the strongest elements of both proposals such that admissibility of creative expression is permissible in only the most exceptional cases. To that end, a sound rule of evidence applicable to creative expression would do the following. First, it would adopt a default rule that creative expression is presumably inadmissible against its creator, as is proposed by the RAP Act. Second, it would incorporate the same threshold showings as the RAP Act. Specifically, to overcome that presumption, prosecutors must, by clear and convincing evidence, make four showings. One, the defendant intended the literal meaning of the expression. Two, the expression refers to specific facts of the crime alleged. Three, the expression is relevant to an issue of fact that is disputed. And four, the expression has distinct probative value not provided by other admissible evidence. These requirements account for the fact that rap is often viewed as literal and iobiographical when it is not, or is not always. They ensure that lyrics are not improperly used as propensity evidence or to make generalizations about the defendant's alleged criminal activity. Instead, lyrics sought to be admitted must refer to specific facts relevant to the alleged crimes. Finally, the requirements ensure that lyrics are introduced only when they do unique work in the prosecution's case. Under this framework, if a criminal defendant were lawfully arrested in possession of a firearm, the defendant's lyrics about owning a firearm would not be admissible. Third, it would take a different approach to the balance between probative value and unfair prejudice than either Rule 403 or the California Rule. The flaws with Rule 403 are described above. Simply, the way federal courts typically assess their unfair prejudice fails to properly account for racial bias and other demonstrated biases associated with rap music. The California Rule, though an improvement, is also less than ideal. It holds that the probative value of creative expression for its, quote, literal truth is minimal unless that expression is created near in time to the charged crime or crimes, bears a sufficient level of similarity to the charged crime or crimes, or includes factual detail not otherwise publicly available. This language, incorporated into our proposed rule, would provide a belt and suspenders approach to evaluating admissibility. For example, a prosecutorial showing by clear and convincing evidence that a defendant artist intended the literal meaning of the lyric, quote, I have a motive to convict crimes with a firearm, end quote, would work towards overcoming the default rule of inadmissibility. Furthermore, if prosecutors would additionally show that, one, the crime charge involved a firearm, and two, it is disputed whether the defendant slash artist did, in fact, have a motive to commit a crime with a firearm, and three, there is no other evidence that tends to show such motive, those lyrics could be admissible over the default rule. This does not mean, however, that those lyrics would generate probative value sufficient to outweigh the risk of undue prejudice. The balance requires independent analysis, and a sound rule of evidence would, in this context, guide that balance away from admissibility in most cases. Under the California rule, a creative expression's probative value is more than de minimis only if the expression was 1. created near in time to the charged crime, 2. bears sufficient similarity to the charged crime, or 3. includes factual detail relevant to the charged crime that is not otherwise publicly available. 
thus to admit the lyric, quote, I have a motive to commit crimes with a firearm, end quote, prosecutors must additionally show that those lyrics were written near in time and are similar to the crime charged, and further, that they reference facts about the crime not otherwise publicly available. Though a scenario in which these requirements are all met is conceivable, it is a remote possibility. In fact, that is the point. It should be difficult to admit a creative expression against its creator. For assessing undue prejudice, we would adopt the California rules recognition that such bias includes, but is not limited to, the possibility that the trier of fact will treat the expression as evidence of the defendant's propensity for violence or general criminal disposition, as well as the possibility that evidence will explicitly or implicitly inject racial bias into the proceedings. Fourth and finally, a sound rule of evidence would adopt the same procedural requirements as the RAP Act and California rule. Courts shall consider not just the lyrics proffered, but also credible testimony on the genre of creative expression as to the social or cultural context, rules, conventions, and artistic techniques of the expression, experimental or social science research as to racial bias, and credible rebuttal evidence to the aforementioned. Admissibility determinations shall be heard in limine outside the presence and hearing of the jury, and the court must state on the record its ruling and its reasons, therefore. Conclusion. Creative expression, especially expression that challenges status quo, political, social, and economic arrangements, is at the heart of the First Amendment values. This incontrovertible principle, notwithstanding, rap lyrics have been used by prosecutors to put artists behind bars. A genre predominantly created by minority artists is disproportionately treated as inculpatory evidence representing another racial injustice in a criminal legal system already replete with them. It is not entirely clear which reform would most plausibly, effectively, and morally balance the competing issues at stake. It is clear, however, that doing nothing is not an option. For this reason, we hope that legislation like the RAP Act and the California Rule continue to gain traction. What a read. It's a hell of an article. Yeah. You know, I am, I'm really glad you brought in this topic. Um, before considering more of this, I, when you, like when you first brought it up, I definitely wasn't, wasn't giving this the perspective that I feel like I should have. And looking at the information from different perspectives is with anything, it's really important to me. And I, I, I feel like I didn't, express it the last time we talked about it, but I am concerned by the implications of this practice and what it could mean going forward if left unchecked. I feel like it's like the snowball effect kind of thing with with some of these rules. And we did state earlier that it could be something that's more, you know, blown out of proportion than it is, but it's I think the the snowball effect of what this could mean for rulings when it comes to freedom of speech in general um it's like nipping something in the bud yeah like i mean it sounds cheesy but i think of like like a 15 year old kid that writes a song that theoretically could implicate them in a crime that their friend did or you know like we're risking we're risking neutering art to 
to use bad evidence. Like think of like a, a mortal technique, like dance with the devil or whatever. Oh my God, yeah. So many important songs that have a bigger effect than the crime that could have possibly in a real or imaginary a long time ago in a different could have been committed ever could like it just seems it seems punishing of art especially being that we have chosen for art to be our form of expression there's so few things that make us human and allow us to have that expression and then to like inject the legal system into reviewing like rotten tomatoes but with a prison sentence at the end mm-hmm. like people's lyrics is is terrible i don't know man I, I i guess i final thoughts yeah i first want to mention how much i appreciate the article i was surprised that the american bar association had such a a base take i really like their categorical denial of expression as evidence i think that is their best proposition but i would still argue they didn't take their argument quite far enough i think that any speech reasonably within the lines of artistic expression such as lyrics to a song should be fully legally protected that's it full stop i think any any form of art if we decide this is creative speech, I think that's where the the conversation stops and starts. Yeah. Yeah, I feel you. Music and art are a societal release. They're the expression of emotion. I think if there are murderers who want to make music and confess their crimes in their songs, we should let them. For those that would agree this should be used as evidence in court, you're just wrong. This is because music deserves to exist in an elevated class of things that should be sacredly outside of the legal system. Expression and truth are not inherently linked, and they should not be used as evidence not just because you're degrading everyone else's freedom of speech, not only because it's a lazy way to get a conviction, and not just because it will further aggrandize violence in music and make artists hesitant to express themselves honestly, but primarily because lyrics are not strong evidence. And even the American Bar Association think it's a weak legal framework for our prosecution to rely on. If our justice system cannot find better, more reliable, physical, concrete, in-text, and non-circumstantial evidence to imprison people, that is a serious problem. Agreed. If we continue to dehumanize the very things that separate us from animals, We are all just going to be living in little invisible cages, little fear cages, where our justice system is afraid of fucking music and no one wants to sing the wrong song, write the wrong poem, paint the wrong picture, tell the wrong joke, or dare dream the wrong fucking dream. This is the admission cost of freedom. The cost of freedom of speech is that a very small number of musicians that commit crimes might not go to prison based on a song they wrote. A violent act may be a crime, but violent music is not. And I, I just strongly fucking feel we would all be better off if we stopped pretending it was. Is 
I had a dream. Stevens, I had a dream speech. I had a dream. Violent songs would not be used in court. <laughs> the hell of a dream. Well, I think we can um, we can all dream on, and they um, can say thanks again for listening, everybody. <laughs> Thank you to Approaching Human for the use of his music. You can find his work on SoundCloud at Approaching-Human. Make sure to check out the show page at TrashCatsTrashCast on Instagram for news and arts from the show. Check out Facebook for the memes. Facebook for the memes. If you're super bored, you can check out my trash yard on Instagram at SkyZix, S-K-Y-Z-S-E-X. There's plenty of uh, violent freedom of speech in my work. Uh, shouts out the we didn't feature anybody, but we did talk about a lot of artists. So yeah, shouts out the Cannibal Corpse. Yeah, check them out. Pretty cool new band. They're hip on the scene. <laughs> yeah, may- maybe you've heard of them. Maybe you haven't. Pretty cool stuff. And uh, tune in next week. We got some. We got a couple cool ideas, but I think we got something really fun. So fuck yeah, that's gonna be all for us today. Stay classy, eat trashy, go fast, eat trash.